Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of uh, the Always Forward podcast. And this one is a this one's special. They're all special, but They're this one's special. Re- this one's really special because those of you had I've talked about Mr. Weisler a lot, but it was nice to have you actually in, in in on the table on the podcast. Last time we talked, we were in the car. We did a podcast in the car, back seat. We were talking about uh, initiative. Backseat driving initiative. Yeah, Allie was driving, and we were we had like the little recording device with some old microphones, trying to get you guys to the airport. Yeah, in time. We were yeah, like, yeah. we just did a, uh, a kind of like a mastermind teaching thing for a company. But Nick's so freaking obsessively just productive. He's like, no, we're not going to waste this time chatting it up. We're going to freaking do something. <laughs> we're going to record gonna, something. We're going to try and make a change in the world. Let's yeah. go. So I set the camera on the uh, the console there, right. and then went from there. Anyways, so. Um, so those that don't know, Kirk was, is, and, and was the, a big part of my personal success. Um, I met you early on in my transition. We've been friends for almost 10 years. Um, and he's been a kind of a mentor and a coach to me. Um, and not only that, as I've progressed in my career, um, and the things that I do, it's weird to say to career. I don't know. I don't work for anybody. Your, your journey, your journey, my journey, your journey. Um, You've kind of turned into uh, kind of like my speaking coach almost. Like every time I present, we like we kind of like do a little hot wash and like you know if you would have said this thing just a little bit, you know, like that, it would have punched. I feel like what I say is that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I get that, but but to be fair, Nick's an operator, and operators always want to get better. They want to say you know they want they want yeah. the real deal. Where could we have made this thing a little tighter? Yeah. Where could we've Tighten the shot group, that kind of thing, and oh, right. And you were in the book. You were in the ex, you're an ex communicator warrior on the audio book. Yeah, well, yeah. that was a great honor to be in your book. Yeah. So, so for those of you who don't haven't read or listened to or at least haven't listened to ex communicator warrior, the seven stages of transition, Kirk offers some insight into some of those chapters. So we, so each one of those chapters is read, and then after those chapters is followed up with a podcast basically discussing the chapter. Right, right. I think the audio book's way better. I don't make anything off the audio book, really. Like, no. Well, a couple cents, but yeah. but it's, I think it's, if I'm going to tell somebody to buy the book and I'm going to like, go get the audio book because yeah. it's just, uh, it's a whole nother level of value that gets brought thanks to Kirk. Your audio book, that uh, Excommunicated Warrior, a couple of the guys at this retreat you just hosted, yeah. they talked about that. That was a big deal for them. Really? They were, they, they were like, yeah, this. Oh, like, Diego. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was that, it was your, your story that just said, I'd already been through all these programs, trying to do all these things, and nothing was, I was, I was going through all the self-help stuff, I was yeah. going through Tony Robbins stuff, but Nick in that book, it just laid perfectly over my life, and yeah, that was a big deal for him. It's that a was very, why he was there. It's a very practical, yeah, um, yeah very practical solution to an unpractical problem, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, identity crisis a little bit. Well, but, so what do we just, so real quick, Kirk, you're a ranger. You're a pickle suit ranger. A long, long. Yeah, when you say pickle suit, I think that pretty much reveals. Oh, that must have been a long time ago. <laughs> that was a long time ago. A long time. 84 to 88 were my active duty years back in the back of the day. Join the Army, see the world, you know. Yeah. And you got stationed at Fort Benning for, that was infantry, airborne, ranger school. And then, of course, they put the 3rd Ranger Battalion, Fort Benning. So it was not as adventurous as I'd hoped it'd be. But it was still, you know, I was, I still can. You got in I, trouble, right? A lot. I, trouble, kind of trouble. I did, yeah, problem. I did. I was a non. I would not that I was a big bad ass rebel ranger. I wasn't. I just, yeah. I just thought some of the things we did didn't make sense, and I thought we should talk about it. <laughs> How did that go over <laughs> zero <laughs> with the with the uh, the 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 post Vietnam? Let, let me give you an example. Here's an yeah, example. Yeah. So here we are. I'm a young. I'm. I don't think I'm a. I don't think I'm a 
PFC yet. I think I'm just a private one or two. And we're private Weisler. We're at a Sandhill Starship, you know, kind of a thing. We don't the Third Ranger Battalion area is still being built out, and they're going to put a huge gym in there for the Rangers to work out. Yeah. Well, I happen to know a couple of the guys in my platoon ran their own gyms in California, but filled with patriotism. These guys had successful gyms, right? You know, right off the beach. Yeah. Jeff Tokaji is one of them, and so he, this guy was just huge, and he knew. Right? He he was a part of that that beach community. Of, and he was mm. all about working out. So I thought, you know what? Um, I think these guys should be tapped to help build out the gym. So I had this, this is I, private Weisler's advice. This was my advice. Yeah. So, and I couldn't get anyone to move on it. So I said, well, the, the colonel's got an open door policy. <laughs> so I walked into colonel's office and I said, Hey, and he was like, okay, here, you know, I said, you got open door. He goes open door. So I said, Hey, I just think this, you know, people support what they helped to create. I said, you've got some gym, gym rats right here in the battalion. I put these guys on the task to help build out your gym. And he nodded and he was gracious. But by the time I left his office, he'd already called my first sergeant and my, my captain. And by the time I got back down to my, my company area, man, I spent the next two and a half hours just getting freaking reamed out. And I thought I was doing the right thing, doing a good thing, doing a helpful thing. But nobody appreciated that. And that's not, that's not how it works. Welcome to the Army. Yeah. And I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I'm like, there's expertise right here. You guys building out the gym are worried about POs and freaking purchasing orders. You don't have any experience. Why, why are we doing it this way? So that's how I got in trouble. I just thought, I, I just thought that doesn't make sense. So what happened to the gym? Um, well, they built the gym they wanted to build. And then over the next three years, they, they changed it. <laughs> <laughs> to, to what you would have helped in the first time. Well, those guys would have. No, I, I, I don't know. Uh, that's the so mil- military-industrial complex. From, I, got in tr- I, got yeah. in, I got in trouble. But, I, you know, I think like a lot of people believe they're doing the best thing or the right thing or whatever. And, and so I, I did wasn't... You, did you walk in like this? You're like, hey, sir, me. No, no, I was, no, I was told... I was, I was scared. I was a young private. Come on, I was scared. I was, but I, but I, I felt morally obligated to, to bring forth a suggestion that I thought was going to add the most value. And I wasn't doing it for me. I wasn't a gym rat. Yeah. But these guys were so excited about the gym. But then the way they saw the equipment that was being purchased and the way it was being installed, they were like, hey. And I was like, yeah, well, you guys should be talking to those guys. And nobody was talking. I just think people should talk. Smart people should get together and just share and learn from each other and build the best. It's amazing when that stuff happens. It's kind of the reasons why I do what I do. Hell, that's the reason why I have these conversations right here. Um, so you got, you got out of the, you did the, did the army thing. And I, I guess that was a, probably one of many stories that you were like, yeah, I think I'm going to go ahead and get out. Get out. I don't think the, I don't think the army's for uh, me. Yeah. No, I just <laughs> too much of a thinker. Well, the, the, the thing is that the, the, my captain then after two or three incidents like that, they, they just thought, no, this, oh, kid, so this was an ongoing thing. Well, yeah, I just thought, well, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Right? But I wasn't a troublemaker. I was, I was the first guy in the ranger to memorize the ranger creed. I was the first guy to be able to recite the creed in front of the battalion at morning yeah. PT. So I, I was all in. Yeah. And I and I was I didn't come from any I didn't come from any athletic background. So but I learned how to run in the military. And so I, I was not the strongest soldier. I I but you know, after a few months of running and basic and then airborne, the standards a little bit higher. I could barely do the push ups for airborne school. I got in the range battalion, then you gotta go to, you gotta go to qualification, range yeah. qualification before you get the battalion. And so I was just squeaking by. So I was nobody's hero. But I was getting better all the time because my body was getting more conditioned. And, and then by the time I uh, was at meeting and then excelling the standards, we we're all waiting for a slot to go to ranger school. Yeah. We we're all waiting for that slot. Because yeah. we're ranger battalion, we're waiting for slots to go to school. It's kind of a competition too, you, right? You don't want to be yeah. in the ranger battalion and not have a ranger tab. Yeah. So now I'm, I'm 
right? By all the benchmarks of performance that they said, I was there. Yeah. And then I went in and I was bumped down. I was dropped 20 spots. I go, why, why, why am I dropped 20 spots? Captain doesn't like you. Captain Branch doesn't like you. Why does he like you? Lieutenant Callahan, my lieutenant, he goes, he goes, he thinks you're kind of a wise ass. I go, oh, what do you mean? He says, well, Kirk, he says, because you have these ideas. And I go, I go, but um, this guy was smoking dope. This guy has got freaking communicable diseases. <laughs> I'm just trying to add some value, but I didn't, I just, I just couldn't wrap my head around the, the format of adding value. And so, but I wasn't, I just want to make sure that I wasn't a rebel. I wasn't this guy that was off. I, I really had this bright eyed, naive optimism that things could be better. And if it didn't make sense, I thought we should talk about it. But Captain Branch said, no, just fall in line and be, but I thought we were supposed to be thinking soldiers. I thought we were supposed to be the best of the best. And so I just couldn't accept that. And in the end of the day, um, when I started losing school slots, I left the Ranger Battalion and I walked basically about a mile through the woods uh-huh. to the Ranger Department where okay. they ran the Ranger course. And Sergeant Major Little John and I, he said, he saw me. I was, young, I was a young buck sergeant by this time. He saw me and he said, um, what's going on? I said, I just told him candidly. And he said, we got a slot for you here. <laughs> and boom. And I went to the range. I went come by the ranger instructor cadre, and and I, I I thought, man, this is gonna be a fantastic, right? My last two years running, being a part of the ranger school and the yeah, ranger yeah. course. I mean, this is gonna be so great. But I got in trouble there too, because <laughs> you had ideas. <laughs> well, no, no, it was um, we got a platoon sergeant, and there was a couple soldiers there that that weren't being treated fairly, and so he wasn't, and they didn't, they these guys didn't have any interest in going to ranger school. So this old school ranger, this old mindset, right? The old dinosaur mindset. He's thought he wasn't going to just bully these kids. Yeah. He was going to get them out with a dishonorable. But they were good kids. And so um, he was fabricating stuff that wasn't true. And so I thought, man, they can't do that. And the privates, they couldn't defend themselves. Yeah. So here, here I'm going, man, I don't want to be the safeguard. I'm nobody's hero. Um, Somebody's got to do it. But I just said, you can't do that, Sergeant. And the next thing I know, man, he was in my face and, and then he had another sergeant in the room that was going to be a witness, and he was going to get me to do something unlawful. Yeah. And so the louder he got, the quieter I got. Mm. And because he was trying to get me to, so he wanted me to sign a, a what was that? Article 15. He wanted yeah, me to yeah. sign an Article 15. Yeah. I said, I refuse to sign. And, he, and he's yelling, trying to get me to sign the thing to make the pain go away. And I said, I'm not signing. And, um, so then, so they can, they can sign it in your absence or whatever that you refuse to sign or whatever. And you disagree. And, and I just thought, no, something's happening here and it's not right. And so I just walked out of there and I walked over to a Colonel's office and I said, you know, this just happened. I'm not sure what's going on, but this is what I see. This is what I feel. This is what I stood up for. This is, and this is what just happened. And two days later, that guy was gone. Dang. Two days later, that guy was gone. And uh, there was a lot of other things associated with that, but th- that guy was gone and, I was like, man, this sucks. But when he was gone, I thought, great, this last year, Nick, is going to be my best year in the range. This is, this is your year. And that's when they started the 10th Mountain Division. Yeah. At Fort Benning. They're okay. going to reestablish the Light Infantry, 10th Mountain Division. And um, those guys had been having morale problems through the, they were just, they were killing, they were just, they were, they were the worst thing on Fort Benning at the time. They were just, so they decided, the Department of the Army decided to, to fix this. They were going to pull some Rangers. Yeah. And making leaders over at the Tenth Mountain Division, and there's 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 no way someone in special operations like yourself wants to get pulled and go beyond some. Nope. Right. Like. Nope. Like they'd be like, "Hey, listen, we know you're doing recon, but we're going to put you in this tank. 
we know you like jumping out of airplanes. With these other guys. Yeah. <laughs> we know you like jumping out of airplanes and doing high speed stuff, but we're just gonna you're just gonna go work with these guys. And it was yeah. I just thought this is gonna be but Department of the Army. So I I did everything I could to fight this, but in the end, my last year I spent in an in an infantry leg unit, mm-hmm. which is what we call the non airborne units. Yeah. And um and I thought this is gonna be the worst year. And I, Nick, I did so many things to get out of that. So when I got over there, I already heard these guys sucked. Yeah. But of the of the battalion that this this battalion of the division, this battalion didn't suck as much. So I went over there and to two sergeant majors of each battalion. So here's this ranger. There began to be a fight in the lobby over this ranger. Right? Not that I was anything special, but they both just but they both just wanted the ranger tab. Yeah. They didn't know me. No, I had no reputation. So I want to be very clear. They didn't want me personally. They just wanted. They just wanted. They, they all wanted the the, the one ranger. And so there was this yeah. fight. There was this fight, and they, these guys were colorful. Yeah. So then I thought I got. So I ended up going into the wrong battalion. I said, like, okay. So I quickly. I had already done my 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 pre work. I knew as long as you end up in Bravo Company, those guys are the toilet bowl of this battalion. So and they have a re, they have a uh, a recon. Yeah company so anyway long story short i did four interventions to make sure i didn't end up exactly where i ended up <laughs> everything worked against me and and until the last minute when lieutenant callahan walks in and he or lieutenant a different lieutenant um walks in and he was a guy i went through ranger school with and he was from freaking bravo company the worst company of the worst battalion of the worst platoon and he goes hey and we, we and I were, went to ranger school together. And so that was it. He goes, he, he chose me. And then, Nick, I proceeded to have the very best year of my life. Because. In that Bravo company. Soon. Because all these kids, all these 20, 18-year-old, 19-year-old kids. Like yeah. there was a kid, Lacona, from some island, some American freaking province island, who had his boots on the wrong feet. <laughs> these kids changed my life that, that that's when that's when i thought you know you want to jump out of planes and be all who and be all ranger and what's the most rewarding thing that you can do it's help people grow and become yeah change change people and uh, that's where some of the real gifts of my military experience um began Sorry. to be manifest i thought no i want to i want to work with people i want to help them build confidence build skills and it would be our platoon and uh, my particular squad that would send more soldiers through Ranger School and a couple other pretty high-speed schools than any other squad in both battalions of the division. Wow. And that was me and Sergeant Emerson, another Ranger guy from 2nd Bat. And we just said, you know what? Things are weird around here, but we can work with these 10 guys. That reminds me. Uh, so no wonder you had um, you had such a connection with... Uh, I don't think I've told that story in 20 years. Really? Yeah. Oh, being go. with you young freaking Raider guys makes me want to, yeah, I just want to buoy up and be accepted, you know? So, so I'm going to tie that into what you, what you brought in this weekend. So this weekend we did a, uh, a Raider project retreat, um, with a bunch, a group of veterans, um, and some guys about to retire. Um, great man. Great man. Beautiful weekend. Wasn't it? Just, it was a, what a tone. We did jujitsu. We suffered in ice. Nice bass. Kirk got, <laughs> Kirk did it twice. You're the only person that did it twice. So Nick shows up with these three water troughs for freaking horses or something. And then shows up with a truck bed full of ice and then just starts pouring these bags of ice until there was little room for water. <laughs> so, 
And it's so, like a big slushy. They were like, so, this is no, just the, a slushy. I, no, the ice was setting. Oh, it wasn't flat. It was angled up like a mountain out of the freaking tubs. And so I'm like, are you sure we can get in there? And he goes, yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> And um, I'm like, all these muscled freaking tat guys, they're going to, I'm like, okay. There was some anxiety, wasn't there? Yeah. Nick, no, Nick said, does anyone have any anxiety? And I was like, well, I don't have anxiety, but I don't want to do it. <laughs> and so he goes, great, you go first. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I didn't. I didn't think I could do it. It, but I knew that I was. I just. I was like, I don't. I mm, not in front of these guys, right? right? Yeah, I'm like, well, peer pressure. Now I've got. I got him. Yeah, right. I'm. I'm the oldest guy there. I've got the least body ink. I got the least muscle mass. I'm gonna have to freaking sit on the bottom of this thing. And yeah, we uh, had a we had a vet. Um, we had a vet that is now a a marshal there, and he tried to bitch out. He did. You know who you are. Well, let's just call him out, Justin. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he listens. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, is a star. he is a star. Um, anyways, so yeah, it was a beautiful weekend. We'll talk more about that. Um, yeah, a you, lot of fun. You delivered a, you mean you changed some people's lives that, that we, this weekend for sure. But in that weekend, you brought up a book by a commander. Um, was it the best ship in the Navy? Is that the name of the book? Commander Abershoff. Yeah, yeah. It's your ship. It's your ship. Can you tell that story real quick? Oh my gosh. Um, I, I, I'm guessing a lot of your, uh, your tribe has probably are familiar with this story, but uh, no, if you're not, definitely not. If you're not, there's a wonderful book out there, and this should be on your freaking leadership list. This should be on your commander list. This should be on your management list. Uh, you and your team um, will be blessed by reading the book "It's Your Ship" by Commander uh, Abershoff. And the short end of the story is that there was a ship in the Navy called the USS Benfold. One well, was probably still there. And it was the toilet bowl. At the, at the time that this story took place, it was the worst performing ship in the entire naval How fleet. is it the worst performing ship? Okay, well, think about the ways any unit is measured. Yeah. You're measured by the, uh, the amount of injuries you have, by the, the training scores you have, you know, the, your PT scores, your firing scores, your, any way that they can measure a unit, they do, and they measure ships that well, too. Your firing scores, your, uh, are you ready for deployment, um, safety, all that stuff. Yeah. Including um, military's track, hey, it, are our soldiers re-upping? Yeah. Is their experience in this military unit so positive they want four more years or yeah. six more, right? right? Yeah. So they had the lowest retention rate. These sailors were getting out of the off the Benfold and going, I'm out. Yeah, because and their if their whole Navy experience is the Benfold, yeah. And the Benfold sucks, then the Navy sucks. In other words, the experience I'm having with you is associated with the brand that you're associated with. And so yeah. if you suck, they suck. Right. And so they were leaving and they weren't leaving saying great things about their Right, they're not going to help with recruiting effort. Right, so all that was happening, and Abershoff inherits command of the Benfold. In the book, even details that the change of command ceremony is usually a big deal for any unit. When they have a change of command, it's very formal. But the change of command ceremony was even irreverent and disrespectful. <laughs> right, it was just. Now, the the positive of this story is that question uh, real quick. Go ahead. Was he in trouble? Is that why he got the ship? I'm not sure how he ended up. I don't think he was in trouble. No. I think he was doing, I think he came out of, out of a Pentagon tour. I think he just wanted to get back. I think he was doing some. They were like, here you go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you want to get back here? <laughs> hey, you think you're all that here? So anyway, he inherits command of the Benfold. And, and just long story short, Nick, uh, why this is such a phenomenal leadership story is that um, he didn't put any of these soldiers in the Benfold, in the brig. Mm-hmm. He didn't kick any of them off the boat. And they were demoralized. They were dispirited. And they did not believe in leadership, discipline, or hope. With that crew, not mm-hmm. another crew, because mm-hmm. I don't want to have a fresh start. Let's just clean this ship and give me a fresh crew. Yeah. Give me a cohort unit that hasn't been spoiled. Yeah. 
But with that crew, they turned things around. In a very short time, the Benful went from being the worst ship of the Navy to the best ship of the Navy. Wow. And one of the things he says in the book, he said to gain command of the ship, he had to give up control. And to gain control of the ship, he had to share command. Mm. And so when Simon Sinek gives his talk about leaders eat last, he's talking yeah. about Abershoff because he did away with the officer's mess and he took him and his lieutenants and his officers and they went to the back of the line behind the troops and ate in the same food, the same line, and they were always in the back of that line. Leaders eat last. So he did all those things that any one of us can do to change our home culture or our team culture or our organizational culture. It's your ship. It's total ownership, but this ownership is not in-your-face accountability. It's what do you want to own? Yeah. It's a brilliant book. And you tell you said that there was some generals that would, or I guess admirals, or admirals that that would. Right. So you you every every unit has a visiting whatever. Right. But a lot of us guys on the front line, we never saw them, mm-hmm. right? Because they're up there butt sniffing with each other, right? Depending on where they're at. But Abershoff said not not doing that. So if there was a visiting admiral to this ship, he he's standing in the back of the line with Abershoff and his guys, and and Abershoff said he was very intentional when he'd get his tray, he'd look for a table that only had one chair on it. <laughs> And he'd go squeeze in there. So the visiting admiral had to go, oh, I guess I'm not sitting with him. <laughs> and he'd go sit with the guys on the front line. Yeah. And for, uh, I'm guessing for some of these admirals, it'd probably been a long time since that happened. Yeah, right. Right? And so, but all those little things, so Cubby said in, the, in his Seven Habits book, he said, in relationships, those little things are the big things. So all these little things, right? Um. There's a wonderful story about the uh, British cyclist. Uh, aggregation of marginal gains. You've heard the story? Mm, no. Okay. Um, listeners, here it is. Here's, here's a wing it story uh, about the aggregation of marginal gains. This is a true story. Um, for 100 years, the British bicycling team has not done very well. So we're going to go pre-2003. Okay. Um, and this goes back 100 years. There was even a time when cycle manufacturers would not, didn't want the British cycling team to ride their bikes. That's how bad they were. So they didn't want any association with these guys. They sucked that bad. Okay. They hit, right. These guys weren't winning anything. 2003, they get a new coach. I, I go, I'll think of his name in a minute, but this new coach, he just says, okay, listen, people come in and try to turn the ship around just like that. But he had a different approach. He just asked the guys, he said, you know, if we could all figure out some way that we could all get 1% better mm-hmm. in some aspect of our cycling or in every aspect, and we add that all together, the aggregation of marginal gains would be significant. And they're like wrapped their head around that. And the, the coach wasn't asked them to go from worst to first. He was saying, hey, 1%. 1%. What's 1% look like for you? And so the guys began to take a look at that. The coaching staff... And the athletes all being take a look at that. Okay. So they said, well, okay, I, I can get 1% better than this. And they, they knew their measure. And right, 1% wasn't asking, yeah, that could, I could lean into that. But then they looked at their training. <laughs> How could we get 1% better training? How could we get 1% better at nutrition? They began to explore. This 1% began to travel into every aspect, <coughs> into every aspect of their life as professional cyclists. Mm. And they look at the last 15 years of the British bicycling team and you're going to see some world championships. You're going to see some gold medals. And you're going to see a lot of other teams that also adopted this philosophy because anybody can look for small improvements that we can make. But when you begin to 
the cumulative effect of that is phenomenal. Yeah. So go back to Abershoff on his ship. One of the things he said he did, he's he interviewed every sailor on the Benfold and he asked them a series of 10 questions. And you can find those 10 questions both in that book, um, It's Your Ship, and another book by a couple uh, retention experts. And by the way, everyone in America right now with the great resignation and the war for talent that's happening right now and people just checking out of the workforce. And right now, all the business owners I'm working with, they're looking for talent. Oh, always. They're looking for talent and they're yeah. looking how to reach, retain talent. Retention is a huge topic. Well, they should all have a book called Love Them or Lose Them by Beverly and Sharon. I can't remember the last names, but Beverly yeah, and talked, Sharon. We talked about yeah. that, yeah. But in the very first chapter of that book, they quote and they use Abershoff as an example. And they used the 10 questions he asked every sailor on the Benfold. And by the way, Abershoff didn't say he was good at this. He said, I kind of suck at this, right? I kind of suck at this. This is not in my wheelhouse. But he knew it was important. So if you suck at it and it's not in your wheelhouse, but you know it's important, then you got to do it anyway. Yeah. Right? Just choose to do that hard thing. So he sat with every sailor on the Benfold, got his yellow pad out, had his 10 questions, said, we're going to go over these 10 questions. And he just, and they, these, these questions, by the way, were not magic. This is not David Copperfield stuff. This is not freaking Chris Angel. This is just, so uh, Nick, um, what do you um, like most about being in the Navy? Not much right now. <laughs> okay. Um, if you could change one thing on the Benfold, if you could just wave a wand and change one thing on the Benfold, what would it be? Um, what's going on with your family right now? Is there something that's, uh, that you could change that would make it, it easier for your family right now if you have a family? Same 10 questions every sailor. Yeah. Now, there was a, several sailors who said, um, I, I guess every, I, because of rust and corrosion in the, in the Navy, you have to paint your ship from stem to stern. All the time. All the time. You're, in other words, by the time you're painting one to the other. They're going back to the right. Yeah. And then every so many years, they got to take this thing in the dock and yeah. scrape off tons of paint. Yeah. So some of the sailors said, this is stupid. There's better paint. If we use this better paint than the Navy has in its arsenal, we wouldn't have to do this often. And Abershoff could have said what every commander, other, other commander said, and that is, well, it's not in the Navy system, so sorry. Yeah. You could have hid behind that. But they figured out a way to get that paint. Now, what, what did it mean to the sailors of the Benfold when this commander thought outside the box and outside the system to do what made more sense? What did they think about this guy? He's he on our side. Yeah, he's, they, listen, they, he's listening to us. How does it feel when someone, when you, when someone really listens and you feel heard? What does that feel like? Amazing. Feels like love. Yeah. Right? Who do we really listen to? People we really care about. Right. So, I mean, just in all, and, and, and if one sailor said, yeah, I, I can't afford a new washer, and a new washer shows up their house, right? And nobody knows where it came from. I'm going to hang around this guy for a little longer. <laughs> but when the wife says to her husband, who's serving on the Benful, we just got a new washer in our driveway. Who's it from? I don't know. Her husband knows. Yeah. Because only one guy asked about that washer. <laughs> and he's like, oh. And who's, he, who's this guy going to tell? Is he going to go say, thank you, Commander? He might. But who's he going to tell that his wife has got a new washer? Everyone he bunks with. Yeah. Look what just happened on the ship. This commander listened, responded. And so this freaking $400 washing machine was worth $4 million. To for them. them. Right? To them, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it's your ship, Commander Abershoff, uh, because it is. It is your ship, and it, it's your family. 
that's your shit. That's what you yeah. say. Yeah. I hear you, you're always in here talking about man up, be a freaking man, stop being a wuss man. Stop. You told these guys, stop being a wussy bitch man. Dad, yeah. just right. If you're yeah. gonna be a man, be a man. Here's what being a man is. Yeah, you're gonna be tired. Yeah. Yeah. It's your ship. It's your family. Yeah, put some effort into it. It's your family culture. Right. You don't like it? Fix it. You're part of the problem. Yeah. Typically they're they are the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And what does that require? Showing up, getting up, um, stepping up. My wife likes the word showing up. You're not showing up for me, Kirk. Well, I'm right here. She's not talking about being there physically. What is she talking about? Right? Right? Show up for me in the way I need present. you to show up for me. Yeah, be present. Yeah. So it's your ship. It's your family. It's your... I guess what I would say finally about this book that you've asked me about is this is not a John Wayne gung-ho book. This is not about autocratic leadership. This is about servant leadership. It's about the spirit of leadership that you talk about on here most of the time. Um... Maybe all the time. It's it, it's about heart and soul, every fiber of my being, leadership, um, and it's it's um, and the the principles and the ideas are taught in such a way that I could read this thing in a elementary school faculty meeting, and they would get it just as readily as they would get it if I read it in a boardroom or yeah. in a platoon meeting. It's the the. The principles are so clear, they transfer across all contexts in our lives. This book is a helpful, useful tool for someone on the journey of self-improvement. Go go buy that book. It's your ship. It's your ship. Well, thanks for that. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up to uh, brought it up to the group this weekend too, because it just it just like hit home. Oh. Like really, really hit. Because everybody thinks that this, not everybody, but initially you think that you have to have this like authoritative especially in the military, like do as I say yeah, because of my rank. And that's, yeah. You see my collar. Yeah. It's, it's not the way that works. Yeah. You can, you can, people can follow you. And this, this goes into the, you know, the, the private workforce as well. You can listen to somebody. It doesn't mean you follow them. You know, I want to be the guy that people go, I'll, I don't care what Nick does. If he starts a new business, I'll just go with him there because he's going to take care of me and, you know, when he goes up, I go up and, you know, that's the kind of person that I want to be. I want, I want to inspire people to, to, to be better. And Okay. You know, I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to add to this for a second. Yeah. And I'm going to give you guys a resource. Um, there's a commercial that I love to use in, um, I think I've used this commercial for a decade now. Uh, and all of my leadership culture work with all these companies, they've also, if they, if they have Kirk Weiser come and speak and do a day of training or whatever, I'm going to show them. So I've seen it. Yeah, I'm going to show them the Cheerios commercial. So you just want to go to your search engine of choice. Uh, and type in. My whole, my whole okay. staff seen that. Okay, so um, if you watch this two and a half minute commercial about peanut butter Cheerios, and it's called Cheerios How to Dad. Mark, you watched that with us, right? right? Yeah. Okay, and you just follow this dad through a morning, just two minutes of his morning with his family. And again, it's a commercial, but I think it's so uh, illustrative. So what's the word I want? Whoever came up with it, right, should have been paid a lot of money. Yeah, it's 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 brilliant. Just, it's brilliant. So brilliant. again, Cheerios, how to dad are the keywords on your search, and then just click that video of the guy in the maroon shirt and just sit back and watch. But if you show it with your team, ask them to look for attractive leadership behaviors. Yeah, words, right, yeah. and then just follow this guy through two and a half minutes of his morning. At the end of the commercial, pay special note. And enjoy the hell out of the commercial, and you will. But at the end of the commercial, pay special note to where the dad is and where his team is, his home team. Yeah. And he didn't say, hey, follow me to the cul-de-sac, but they're all gathered around him. 
in a similar way, going back to what triggered this thought was Nick said, right? People will follow you. I, since I've known you, there was a time when I, I had you come speak to a client in Utah. You came out and just slayed the dragon at auto leave. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was great. So, so you were a guest speaker great there. Group, great group of guys. Some of those guys still talk about you and they follow you and your sweet wife. Uh, in fact, I got a text from a woman just recently, Mike Dotterty. Um, Mike, so if you're listening, and Mike does listen, uh, he's, he's <laughs> thank like, you, thank he's you, like, Mike. He's hope like, you do, hope you he just said my name because <laughs> he, he thinks he's like, whoa, man. So, yeah. so, right now he's 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 saving this podcast right now to tell his friend, hey, listen, from my name, <laughs> he's going to play this tonight for his kids. So, so you, there was one point you were running seven different businesses. Yeah. Okay. Your yeah. speaking business, your your packaging business, your, your, Not all your, kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff going. Yeah. Okay. So I just did a, I did a day with the Johnny Slick staff yesterday. Yeah. What I learned from that was some of these people at your Johnny Slick's organization today, they were with you in some of your other businesses. Yeah. And they didn't care what you did. They just wanted to be with you when you did it. Yeah. Okay. Let, let's talk about why. And, and it could be your charming personality and your dashing good looks. Dashing good looks. <laughs> okay. But we had a, our after actions meeting yesterday after our day of training with the Johnny Slicks team and we talked about this and I think it's important for your listeners to just wrap their head around this for a second I would submit to you that a few of these people that have followed you for three or four years um, it's not because you're good looking and it's not because you pay the highest dollar and maybe you do I don't know but it's because of how they feel it's it's because of how they feel yeah and, and I'm not talking about they feel like their their joy factor is maxed out. I would submit to you it's because they feel safe. I would submit to you it's because you have structure and standards that are uncompromising. And um, like your guest, one of your guest speakers at the retreat, right? Some of these people that were in these ju- juvenile detention centers, they're about to go out. They're about yeah. to be able to get out. So they'll do something really evil and dark yeah. so they don't have to go back home. Right. Because at least in this lockdown environment of the juvenile detention, there's structure mm-hmm. and that structure helps them feel safe. Yep. They get three square meals, three square meals, two snacks. There's standards, PT, outside time. Yeah. Structure. Yep. Let's go back to your excommunicated warrior. Right. These are, these are the top performers. These are some of the top operators, millions of dollars of training in the world. These guys can go in different countries and do amazing things that yep. nobody else can do. They are the 1% of the 1%. But they get out of the military and they fall apart because all of a sudden they're missing what? Structure. Mm-hmm. So we, to the, any extent that a leader of a family, of self, right, which is a big thing we talked about this weekend, yeah. or of an institution can provide structure and standards, right, and positive routines that build, strengthen, and nurture Right, that ship is going to go great places. Yeah, it, see, it's I, not. It's not. And so I think. I think you kind of you talked about it as well. I think that people need to be feel like they're listened to, that they're a part of something. It's not just like I show up to work, and it's also an environment. We spend so much time with the at work compared to the the rest of their life. And if that if your work sucks, your life's going to suck. Yeah, like that. There's just no room for a shitty working environment. Okay. I, I just want to take what Nick said and I want to just put an exclamation point behind it. So um, study after study have shown us that, and I don't know what it's like in our new mobile work from home. I don't know. But, but I mean, the research 10 years ago said that we'll spend more of our waking lives mm-hmm. 
right? more of our waking lives. If we don't count sleep time, we'll spend more of our wake time with our coworkers than the people on our home teams, yeah. our family. Yeah. You're like, well, no, that's not true. Just do the math, dude. Do the math. Just do the math. Simple math, yep. And if I'm going to spend that kind of waking hours with the people I work with, then how do I want my work environment to be? Right? And I want it to be safe. I want it to be productive. I want to be held accountable. I want to get things done. I want yeah. to put points on the board. I want to enjoy it. I want to enjoy it. Yeah. I want to grow myself and others, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So after the Rangers, you did some crazy stuff, worked for some other people, mm-hmm. learned learned who you were. Mm-hmm. The typical transition, military transition, right? Sure. Trying to, to figure out where you fit into the world. For me, Nick, for me, um, uh, I was raised in a faith that, but I, but like anything else in life, you can be, you can go to some church, but if you're going to have a relationship with your faith, there's got to be a price that you pay. Yeah. So I, you know, you can go through a class or you can get something from a class, right? right. <laughs> Whether that's a Sunday school class or a, 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 a self-help class. I mean, how many times have you stood up there and you're, you're presenting to a group of people and there's people in the front row just kind of leaning forward, taking notes, and there's people in the back with their arms crossed going, yeah, I don't. Oh, not when I talk, Kirk. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. just, when I, yeah. Right. So, <laughs> no, but, I'm just kidding. Right, but you get what you put in. So, yeah, of course. So that was me. I went through the motions with my faith and I didn't have any. But somewhere along the way, I was like a late night parachute jump or something. I had this idea in my head that my chute wasn't going to open. It was going to be a night jump, low training jump. We we're going to do like an 800,000 foot jump. So you used to swing, drop, you know, and then we were, it was just, it was aggressive training. And I had in my head that my chute wasn't going to open. And this is on an actual jump or a training. This like was a tower or something. No, this was a night 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 jump. You know, it was a battalion night jump out of a plane. You were having this thought. Yeah, I was like, that's like uh, the worst thought to have on well, a plane. Well, it, it is, but 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 at the same time, you're like, hey, sergeant, I'm just not feeling it right now. <laughs> <laughs> In the eighties, can I can I just can I just wait? Uh, next pass, you know, you, like right, you're gonna stand yeah, up, of course, you're gonna you're, go, you're going out the door. So yeah. anyway. So then my next thought was, so this is, my, this is how simple my brain is. So I'm not very smart. So this is how my brain works. My next thought was, um, if my chute doesn't open, maybe the reserve will work, right? But I just thought, then I thought, well, if I die, what do I really believe? Okay, well, in the most simple terms, in the Christian faith, you kind of think, well, you're going to go to heaven. You're going to, it's right in the most simple terms. Yeah, right. And I thought, well, I'm not a bad guy. So, so then I thought, okay, if I'm having an interview with God, um, what's that going to be like? I didn't really have the Baptist judgment bar, you know, guilt, you know, the, the hammer goes, I didn't really have that. The vision I had was there was going to be this, God's going to say, so uh, let's talk. And uh, I was like, Here, here's your, I got your resume in front of you. <laughs> and, he, and, and then, the, but this was my, this was my thought. So this was, this was an important thought. This is, if God was going to speak to me, he had to keep it really simple. Right? <laughs> and the conversation was going to, he was going to just going to ask me one question. Yeah. So, um, what do you know about me? Like, do you want to be with me? I mean, what do you know? What, what, yeah, what, yeah. what, what have you heard? Yeah, right? Yeah. Do you want to be on my team? And I was like, oh, that's going to be a short conversation. <laughs> but then I was like, but I had all the books, yeah. right? But I'd done, I'd done no time uh, with the books. And so um, that was when uh, I began a journey of saying, you know what? How can I give four years to Uncle Sam and learning about myself and about my country and about um, what I can do and what I can do for others. And I don't spend a little bit of time learning about that. So I then, um, really leaned into my faith. I went on a two year mission for my church. Yeah. And then after that, I w- went to college. So I'm 27 when I started my college days. Oh my goodness. And then, so I'm 30 when I get out of college, I'm married now. So you and, married Rebecca in college. Yeah. I, okay. I, I stalked her in school. 
Good for you. Well, it wasn't called stalking then. You just followed him to the class. You wrote down the number, right? Now they call it stalking. Now they make it sound like a creepy thing, but that's how you found your wife back in the day. <laughs> that's how, before, <laughs> before the internet and cell phones. That's the only way you did it. Right? I don't want to yeah. lose her. Well, okay, 2.37 on Thursdays. Got 2.30. On Thursdays, got I'm going to be gonna right here her. when she walks <laughs> yeah. out. And if my courage is up, then I'm going to talk to her. If not, the next day. No. Um, so, yeah, so then, then, I, then I began my professional journey of working for... Uh, a couple different companies, and then finally for art. Yeah. And that was a game changer. When, when I found a mentor who, um, well, anytime you find a leader, someone who believes in you more yeah. than you believe in you, sees in you more than you see in you. You lean in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a, um, what's Art's book? That, that He had lots of Don't books, Just Manage Lead? Don't Just Manage Lead. I make I, I pass that out to a lot of the executives here. Mm. Um, it's a great book. Thank you, Art, for that. Yeah. Um, so, but then after that, I'm going to play this podcast for Art because I'm going to ask him to donate some more books for your guys. Oh, th th so, th thank you, Art. Thank you, Art. <laughs> go buy go buy Art's book. <laughs> Art Coombs, C-O-M-B-S. Um, so, but after that is when you kind of started your own, you started your own career. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's been what, last 20 years? 20 years. 20 years. Um, and, and so just so you know, when I met Kirk, I, Kirk was forced upon me. There was uh, we were doing a, a Raider Project retreat. Well, no, he didn't say I forced myself upon him. No, so he I was just, forced. He was forced on okay. me okay. by a third I just party. Be very clear. And uh, and you know, and I was back then. I was very protective. I'm not so protective anymore. I'm like, yeah, well, we'll see how it goes. Whatever, you know, it'll buff out. No, but back but you, then, but you wanted to provide your guys a great experience. Yeah, I, I wanted I wanted to have a very experience. I didn't want any I didn't want any uh, crazy wackos showing up and you know giving misinformation or some weirdo thing. So I, I like, she, you know, we were doing this, we were doing the ranch retreats and stuff like that. And she's like, <coughs> the owner was like, Hey, listen, I, I want you guys to come out, but I have one stipulation. You have to, you have to let uh, this guy, Kirk Weisler participate, you know, participate and, and lead and share some things. And I'm like, she's like, just have a conversation on the phone. I'm like, I don't like external people. I don't like new things, you know, whatever. So I get on the phone and I'm like, I'm trying to, and I'm such a, I'm still in my like hardcore. You, did you remember that? Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was an interesting conversation. It was more difficult than it needed to be, <laughs> which I made it more <laughs> difficult. I'm like, so <laughs> trying to be nice here, Mr. Weisler, what is it that you do? And he would never, I get out, I spent like 20 minutes on the phone with this guy and he would never tell me, I mean, he just asked me more questions. He's like, well, what do you need me to do? I'm like, what the, I don't know. I don't know what you do. How can I answer that question if I don't know what you do? Anyways, he goes back and forth, and I think I finally get off. He tricks me somehow, and I get off the phone, and I still have no idea what to do. So I show up to this ranch. I'm like, hey, guys, listen. Here's the sequence of events. We're doing this kind of therapy. We're having this kind of talk. We're doing horseback riding. We're doing yoga. You know, I've got a yoga guy. I've got an EMDR person for therapy. I've got all this stuff worked out. And then we have this wild card named Kirk Weisler, and I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. So we'll just have to deal with that. And, of course, you... Uh, you know, I've, you know, you shared, and, um, and of course there's not a, not a dry eye in the room and you completely crushed it and made a whole bunch of new friends and changed a bunch of lives as you do. Um, but that's how we, that's how we got met. And one of the biggest things that happened on that thing, I was still very much struggling in my own transition, not knowing I was building businesses and trying to navigate like, oh man, just navigate my personal life, navigate my personal transition Growth of a business, trying to figure out how to raise money, how to make money, how to provide, how to deal with betrayal, how to deal. Well, that was that that came later. Okay, that, that came later. Th that was our that was another that okay. was another tr trip. But yeah. but this was 
I, I was going through a divorce, like, like not trying not to lose my kids and all, I mean, all kinds of stuff. Anyways, it's a lot. And I was just all in, you know, I was like hyper-focused, no peripheral vision whatsoever, just like drudging forward. And you saw this and I remember us being in the lodge and like the, the, you remember the internet there? It's like, it was, it was pretty kind of spotty, which is, I, I feel like by design, like they should just get rid of it. So you don't, you don't even try. Nick was sitting in the corner of this lodge with his laptop cracked up on one side, just because the right angle, you might get a little bit of signal for yeah. seven minutes. And, uh, he goes, Hey, uh, Nick, if, um, if we went up, we took a hike up this mountain, um, would the world stop spinning? Like if we just took a break and just you, you and I just walked up this mountain, just you and I, would the world stop spinning? I'm like, well, no shit, Kirk. Of course, the world would not stop spinning if we went on a walk. Right, right. And he's like, well, let's go. So then you went and you did. I don't think you said anything. You just listened to me bitch for an, <laughs> about an hour of my life. Uh, but that's where it all started. That's where it all started. That was a, it was a, that was a beautiful walk. It was a great walk. And, yeah. and the walk continues. So we sound like Frodo and Sam right now with some bromance, and I yeah. like that. Uh, but, but Nick was Nick was uh, Nick was trying to facilitate an experience for there's like 15, 20 guys there. Yeah. You had a big crew. It was a big crew that time, and yeah. all the logistics, all the money, everything that provided this experience oh, was so was, difficult was on the shoulders yeah. of this young entrepreneur who was trying to manage his own life, <laughs> trying to make sure these guys had a very protected, and exclusive and special experience. Yeah. So I don't want to minimize the fact that. You weren't a control freak. You were just like, I was a variable. You're like, no, I, I don't want a variable. This is my mission op. This is my plan. Yeah. That's how we're going to execute. And But the owner of the ranch, who graciously opened up this ranch, mm-hmm. right? Because every one of those beds was it, every one of those beds was $2,000 a week. Oh, I think it might have been more than that. Probably more than that, yeah. yeah. So, so she opened up this ranch for these special operations guys because that's who she is. And then she said, and she just had me do staff training. Yeah, because you did you did the staff training before. That's how yeah she with did her you. staff. Yeah. So she said, Kirk, I'm going to pay you a second week. Just stay there, and some warriors are going to come out there, and I'm just going to pay you to stay there and train them. Yeah, and I, was I like, wasn't even paying you. Yeah, I go. Do they do they want me? She goes, No, they don't. No, but they'll they'll take you. So right. <laughs> yeah. So Lucia Hatfield kind of facilitated yeah. our friendship yeah. and paid for it. But so some lessons. So Nick says that that walk and talk was valuable, but let's, let's break it down. So it's helpful for your listeners. Okay. So what really happened there? What really happened there was, was something you've done at, that you were doing at that very moment for 20 other guys. Yeah. You were, you were taking them for a walk. Mm-hmm. You took them up in the mountain. You took them fly fishing. You took them horseback uh, riding yoga uh, while the river flowed around. What Nick didn't mention in his relay of everything he brought, these freaking guys brought a, huge metal container filled with ammunition and weapons. So part of their yoga, meditation, quiet, feel the breeze, also involved freaking taking down targets. I was like, what in the world? So we went from yoga to just bang, bang, bang. It was insane. I'd never we brought up. We brought up weights too. Remember the yeah, weight? The they, weight yeah, the they weight brought thing. Gold Gym with them and pulled yeah. that out of a freaking crate. I'm like, yeah. what are you guys? Who are you guys? But the, what, what Nick wants to graciously say, hey, Kirk did this for me, was just a small reflection of what he was already doing. My point here is this. Sometimes we need to love and lead up. 
you know, we look, we look down the line and we see our troops need us, our family need us, and, 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 and great. But there's someone above us, someone that we may not think. They, we might think they're in charge. You know what? They've got the same human needs, the same emotional needs, the same spiritual needs that you do. And sometimes they're even more out of balance than you are Yeah. in that moment of their lives. And so here's this guy that was, he was just this muscular freaking executor, you know, this bearded warrior that was in charge of these guys. And yet uh, my heart said, um, and I think you're the same thing to me that your heart said to you about those guys. Mm-hmm. I wonder if I can help. And how can, how can I help this guy? And the only thing that came to my mind was maybe if we could step away for just a minute. And that was a lovely walk. Yeah, it was. And isn't there something about nature that heals us all? Yeah, that's a that's a special place too. Hopefully, that place is still in operation. It's it a is. very special place. There's no cell phone service there. There's you can. It's hard to get to. Yeah, it's, you damn near kill yourself driving there. Like like the Colorado border or something. Yeah. It's right north. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a very very special. Raywa Raywa Ranch. Yeah, Raywa. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that was kind of the beginning. That was the beginning of it all. And then and then as I. You know, you poured in me and developed more. Um, now I'm—I don't know. Now I'm sometimes giving you advice every once in a while. Yeah, no, and I love it. Listen, isn't that isn't that amazing, right? To to uh, to get some coaching and some um, input and some encouragement and some support from people we love in all directions, up, down, and sideways. I was laughing this weekend because you, know, you taught me so many things, and then you know I <laughs> I listened, and I took it, but some things I've. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I've turned the volume up on it a little bit because I, you know, give, like, give me an example like this weekend. So like the thing that you taught me, it's like you, you show love and compassion and I do too, but maybe in, maybe in a little more aggressive way. It sounds different coming out of your it mouth. It sounds yeah. different coming out of my way. And they're like, it's more, whoa, <laughs> you guys will not happen. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> um, murder the, murder the, yeah. Kill the bitch. And, uh, no, he's not talking about, he's talking about, the, the inside one. The, the the voice, yeah. The inside. Just to be clear. Yeah, they know about that. Okay. I'll talk about it all the time. Okay, great. Anyway, so, so yeah, so now you, uh, you, what did she, yeah, the chief morale officer. Chief morale officer. Now, now Kirk Weiser is a chief morale officer. And, and what is it that you do? Oh. Do you have a better answer this time for? Sure. Uh, I'll just be brief. So the Art Coombs, who I mentioned, he invited me to this new world. And he, here's what he said. He said, Kirk, he said, I said, I don't even know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. He said he was going to create a thousand jobs in two years in the in the world of the contact center. What year is this? This is got back in the I don't know, 18, when I get ninety one. This is late nineties. Wow. Um. And um. And he invites me to be on his team. At the, right now, his team is just him. Um. And I go, I don't even know what you're talking about. And he says, Kirk. He said, I know you don't. He said, but you have sunshine. And what he meant by that wasn't that I was some flower child. He meant that. Like Dr. Covey said, Dr. Covey says, we all carry our own weather with us. Mm-hmm. Some people carry a storm cloud. Some people carry dark clouds. Some people carry sunshine. Some people carry rain, right? Um, so he says, he said, you, you, you have sunshine. I can teach you the stuff. Yeah. And there's a lot of teaching to do because you don't know business. But he said, I can't teach you to make the choice that you've already made about the kind of person you want to be and the kind of weather you want to have. Yeah. And so that, couple years with him was just so fundamental and foundational and we did create a a thousand jobs in two years and I got to be a part of a team like you're part of a team and build something that was kind of unique and for me unbelievably uh, educational and we had a very unique culture so our culture 
Um, the average industry turnover for organizations like ours was 100% annual attrition. Mm-hmm. So that's that's acceptable. Yeah. You think 100% turnover is acceptable? It was in our industry at that time. Wow. And um, ours was 17%. So it wasn't even close. And we did some other things that were kind of unique as well. We had daily profit and loss statements. And um, so these guys could measure their performance and their profitability on a per day basis with a daily profit and loss. But not only that, that helped them understand what a profit and loss was, how it worked, ROI, that kind of thing. And so there was some unique things we did. And it's the funny, industry- we, we have a similar thing that we do. Oh, do you? Okay. Daily. They know every person on the staff, we have a channel in Slack. And every day, every day- Oh, you get a pop? It gets a pop in Slack. Let me pull it up for you. And you know you added value or not. The entire the entire team knows exactly what the company's done, what the profitability. So they get this report right here. Okay. So they see exactly what the total is, what the ad cost is, everything across the board down to profit. I don't know how you would do it in this. Uh, this is beautiful, by the way. Yeah. And, there's, and we should talk about all the psychological advantages of that. But take this now and give it to each person individually. And I don't know how you do that in this environment because you guys are shipping and creating product. And, yeah. Well, everybody's in there. But, but, but I'm talking about individually. Yeah. So in other words, in a call center, you're taking 30, 30 calls a day. And each call is... Oh, worth- yeah, we have that talk. Okay, so, right? Yeah, we, we talk about how... Because most people don't think, like, well, I just ship. I'm not a profit person. Right. I'm just a customer service right. person. I don't make or, make or break money. I just... I am what I am. I do what I do. It, there's no profit involved with right. me. But we actually have a profitability talk. And everybody at every level understands how each person... Like, we, we, we talk and we ask them, how do you make the business more money? Do they, do your people know they're fully burdened cost? Yes. So when we taught our kids, right? Cause a lot of kids that are making 12, 14 bucks an hour. Yeah. Well, they just go times eight hours. Okay. Eight, 32. So no. that's, a, right, that's yeah. $112, 120. Right. Right. So, right. They, that's what they believe if you're right. Yeah. Cause no one's ever taught them any different. No, you're fully burdened cost like 300 bucks a day. Yeah. Like it's what? Yeah. But you're only paying me 112, 120. Well, yeah, but there's unemployment insurance, there's yeah. depreciation of assets, there's this building. Well, and then if you mess up something, you pour something that, go, yeah, that goes yeah, up. Yeah, we right. have that conversation. So, yeah. so these kids were like, they never, no one had ever told them that. Yeah. All of a sudden, when they realized they were costing, and the, and of course the stakeholders expect some kind of a profit margin. Right. So when you give them that they cost three hundred and twenty bucks a day, they're like, oh, I didn't know that. Now they understand why they need to take thirty calls a day because each call is valued at ten dollars. Right. Now they understand. So when you can show someone how they're putting points on the board. Yeah. A, anyway, so. This is really progressive, and the tool you're using is outstanding, but go back in time 20-something years and do this. No one was doing it. And How could I, you even do it in a day? Well, because every because we were a contact center, everything flowed through a switch. So okay. every email request, tick. Every request for service was a phone call, an email, or a chat request. And so we could measure everyone, and we could track every one of those to the number you open at your desk. Oh, I see. Okay. So it was, right? So, but to share that level of information, to open the kimono, as Art would say, and share mm-hmm. that level of information, we thought, let's try it. Anyway, the things it did for productivity, what's that old quote that says, when performance is measured, performance improves. Mm-hmm. When performance is measured and reported, mm-hmm. the rate of performance improvement increases. Mm. So here we were giving, when performance was measured, we were measuring it daily, reporting it daily. And the third lesson we learned was, don't give people a spreadsheet. We gave them a pie chart. Mm. and a floating bar graph, a picture that showed them so they could look at this picture. And go, Simplifies it even more. Yeah, they go, yeah, I could see. If this is a lot green, a lot blue, and a little bit red. I like that. Right? Yeah. But if it's a lot red, red is bad. 
Right. And anybody could look over and go, oh man, too Oof, much, they, too much red. <laughs> and this, because it was a pie chart, they would go, oh dude, too much cherry pie. You're not, you're not bringing it in. And that's how they would tease each other. Yeah. It was not shaming. They're like, oh, too much cherry pie, dude. Dude, I know yes, you. You right? step it up. You got more apple pie today, man. Yeah. Look at yesterday sucked. You yeah. sucked. So they would hold each other accountable. So long story short, Art then set me up to speak at an event, mm-hmm. a large industry event. I was not qualified to speak at that event. I was not invited to speak at that event. <laughs> I was not want, they didn't want me to speak at that event. <laughs> so you've been pushed on a lot of people in your career. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Art, who was a legend in the industry, even yeah. back in the day, he was the speaker at the event. 450 people came in the room to hear Art speak. Uh-huh. With his freaking 18 years of experience. Your first time speaking was like 450 people? Yeah. Oh, shit. Well, I mean, we've all talked in front of people, right? So it wasn't about speaking. It was about speaking to people that had 20 years experience when you had six months. Yeah. So Art pulls me aside like 20 minutes before this speech. And he says, hey, Kirk, he said, uh, this is a big conference in the Moscone Center. This is just a breakout. This is a, what they call a mini keynote. There's five choices up and down this hallway. And uh, they already had Tony Robbins or somebody this morning, some Covey or somebody, some big speaker this morning. Now it's a mini keynote. Don't worry about him. He's a nobody. Right. Yeah. So now it's the mini keynote in the afternoon. And there's five presenters. My boss is one of them. And his presentation title is the book that you love. Better leaders, not better managers. You mm-hmm. know, don't just manage the lead or something like that. Yeah. So he pulls me aside and says, hey, Kirk, um, I want you to give this presentation. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, no, you're going to give this presentation. That's when he told you. Yeah. So we're oh. having this little thing in the lobby of the Moscone Center. And, um, I can't tell you everything that happened in that conversation, but words were exchanged. <laughs> right. And, um, but, um, he's my boss and he's Art Coombs. So you did the presentation. No, I went to the bathroom and threw up. <laughs> and for your, for your listeners, I also, I may have had a little diarrhea, but I was got it. I got it all in the bowl. And then Art was waiting at the sink. Now here's leadership. Here's leadership. Art's waiting at the sink. And back in the day, these were the press sinks. Yeah. He pushed on that handle and was had cold water running. And then he began to talk to me in very short sentences and little words. Yeah. And he said things that were helpful, like Ranger. And he'd never called me Ranger. He wasn't a military guy. He gets it. He respects it. He loves it. But he was tapping into something. He was tapping into something. Yeah. You get it. Yeah. Hey, Ranger, you got this. Hey, Kirk, you were born to do this. Kirk, you're too stupid to lie. Meaning... I wasn't smart enough to tell them anything that I didn't already know. So just tell them what you know. Yeah. Tell them what we're trying to do at our company. Tell them why we're doing what we're doing in the way that we're doing. Tell them about the mistakes we've made, the things that we're learning. Just tell them the truth, Kirk. He said, because the truth is in short supply. Yeah. You're going to do great. While he's talking to me, Nick, he's got that little battery pack he's putting on my belt, yeah. clipping something to my shirt. And then we're walking. He's talking to me, short sentences. He's just repeating six things. You got yeah. this, Kirk. Ranger, dot, right? Da, 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 da. And then... Please welcome to the stage, Mr. Art Coombs. And I, he pushes me out there and says, I'll see you after. He said, you're going to do great, right? I go out there. My shirt's already kind of soaked to my skin. I'm looking like a deer in the headlights probably. I'm sure it was just awful. And uh, everyone's looking at me like, this is not the confident guy in the poster. This is not the guy I know. This is not my old boss, the, right? They, everyone knows who Art Coombs is. So I just said, the only thing I could say, I'm not Art Coombs. So now's a great time to find that session down the hall, that one you almost picked, <laughs> right? <laughs> I said, if you stay here, all I can tell you is this. What the last six months of my life have been like working for a leader, not just a manager, and the things I've learned in this industry. And nobody moved. 
and I gave my very first public presentation about some professional task and mission and career. And you know what, Nick? I got a standing ovation. Not in the way that you might want. You know, they weren't like, whoa, thunder, more. They were like, well, standing up to go, right? Yeah, well done. <laughs> right? But the, there was a couple times we really laughed. And that laughter was heard by the guy that was presenting next door, a guy named George Spaulding, who ran a, his own conferences. Mm-hmm. And after everyone was shaking hands and all that stuff at the end, he was in that line. He says, who are you, kid? He said, I heard the laughter. I see these people's faces coming out. I want you to come speak at my conference. What did you talk about? I said, I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> and but then Art's right there. He's telling George, no, you, you need to have him come speak. Yeah. And then there were some other people in the room. And then there was the event planner, Cinda Daly. She was pissed because you don't switch speakers at the last minute of an event. You just don't do it. That's, mm-hmm. that's bad etiquette. That's bad form. And she gave Art and I a railing. But she also saw the feedback. And she would hire me for the next eight years, and I've now done, well, for the last seven years, I've been the MC at that event. 2,000 people every year. Um, I do two events for them each year, and I have for, well, since that presentation. So, and then when I finally became a speaker, if you will, or a consultant, whatever you want to call it, um, it was from the people in the audience. Those are the people that invite me. I just do word-of-mouth referral work. Yeah. I don't have social media. I don't do what you do. And I don't have a Still website. Blows, no, it blows my mind. So I just go where I'm invited based on, right? But, but, well, I overshared. There it is. It's more than you wanted to know. No, it's amazing. So, and it just kills me because it's those times, it's those small pivotal moments in people's lives, the scary stuff. The, it, it really is. It's the scary stuff, the uncomfortable, the uncomfortable situations that you're put in. Yeah, yeah that changes your life. And it can sometimes be really bad things too. Like, you know, I talked about this that weekend, all the bad, all the bad things in my life that have happened over the last decade, Um, even before then, but really like, you know, the last decade were were all super pivotal moments to my success and my growth, you know, and all the bad and things that you would think that like, oh, you would definitely want to remove that one. I, I can't. No. I can't because that was, if I look at it objectively, that was the pivotal moment that changed me to who I am becoming now or who I am and who I'm becoming. And so we have to, we have to kind of welcome all of that. Oh my gosh. Yes. So a couple things. Um, I'm really a big fan of Dan Sullivan and Benjamin Hardy right now. These guys have written three books together or Benjamin Hardy's written three books about things he's learning with and from Dan Sullivan, who does coaching like you do for entrepreneurs and people trying to, um, get better. Yeah. Um, so one of the things he talks about in his book that I thought was an interesting concept is, is history static or is history still, um, does history have transformative power? And the main idea here is that this really awful thing happened to us back in the day. Yeah. And it sucked. Yeah. And hopefully we learned a lesson from it, but you know what? It can teach us forever. Yeah. Now, as we've learned and grow, we can look back at that same tragic event and we can draw another lesson from it. Mm-hmm. It never stops losing its capacity to teach us more. 100%. And help us prepare for the future. Second thing I want to take from your uh, debrief, your short debrief of my too long story. Um, one of the exercises that I got from a friend of mine that I love to do 
is, um, and anyone of your listeners, and someone just, I heard about this. So a friend of me called, on, called me on the phone and said, Kirk, we just did this thing. I think you should do it. I, he said, we really liked it. So I got a verbal description. I'm about to give you the same verbal description, and you can execute, execute, execute. Basically, you draw a star on a piece of paper, and by each leg of this star, this five-point star, you draw a line. And I call it the five-star leader exercise. And what you do now is you write down the name or have your team write down the name of five leaders that have helped shape their life or the way they think about leadership. Yeah. Then I qualify it. I ask them not to put down names of immediate family members. We don't want Uncle Bob and Mom on there, right? Not that we want to diminish family, but we want to step outside the family circle for this exercise. Yeah. And I ask them not to put down the names of Buddha, Mohammed, Jesus. Uh, I, again, I, we don't want to diminish anyone's faith. Yeah. Um, but I want to. I want to. I want it to be people they've met, not a tape they listened to or a book they read. Yeah. Five people that have shaped your life. And then, um, then we just invite everyone to tell a three-minute story about that person. And three minutes is not a lot of time, so you got to. Think about it. You have three minutes to tell a story about why that person made your five star. And we're in groups of four or small intimate teams of 10 or less. You can't do this large room, small intimate teams, groups. And if I got a big group, I just put everyone in teams of four. And so three people lean forward and we ask them, don't think about your five stars or what you're going to say. Just think about what Nick is saying. And now we just listen to you. We just drink you in for three minutes. And I'll tell you what, anyone who'll do this, I promise you a couple things. One, I promise you the room will be filled with a wonderful, wonderful feeling. Because as soon as people start sharing, gratitude, mm. humility, appreciation, joy fills the room. It fills the room. Three people become silent witnesses to that pivotal moment you just talked about. These pivotal moments. Okay, now... We go around the circle. I model what it looks like. We go around the circle. Everyone shares. Now I've heard Kirk's story, my story, and three other stories. I've got four stories of star on my star. I did not tell. Yeah. Now we ask him this question. What, if anything, do all these stories have in common? Wait a minute. Kirk's this guy. These three people I just met, right? I don't know who they're talking about. I've got my five people. What do they all these stories have in common? And they almost always have these three things in common. You ready? The reason these people made our list is they believed in us more than we believed in us at some mm. point in our life. Second thing. They pushed us in ways we would not have pushed ourselves. Yeah. Not so we would fail, but so that we could see that we could. And they weren't surprised that we could. We were the only ones surprised. We hated them for the push but we love them later and we could, you can never shrink back to where you were before. You now know what you can do. Mm. And the third thing is we ask them, why'd they do that? Why'd they do that? And then we ask them, how were they with accountability? Did they hold you accountable? So they believed in this, they pushed us and they held us accountable. Those three things, 99.9% .9 of the response, they share those in common. So wait, what do I do with this now? Well, if I was doing this with Johnny Slick's team, if I was doing this with you and four other people, yeah. what I now know, because every, every one of the four of them just told me that they love leaders who push them, they love leaders who believe in them, and they love leaders that hold them accountable. And I just heard them say that. 
Now I can look at them and I can say, you know what? I have not been a great leader to you. That changes today. Because I want to somehow make your list. I want to, I want to have this sacred ambition to be one of your five. And I'm going to do that by believing you like I've never believed in you before. And I'm going to show that belief by pushing you like I've never pushed you before and holding you accountable to what I see in you that I don't think you see yet. And that is how amazing and great and capable you are. See, they just provided the language and the opportunity for you to step up as a leader and be the guy that you should have been being all along. Yeah. But you have to do that. You have to go through that thing. Well, I you don't have to, I guess, but I mean, I just, it's a, it's one way to get there. It's how, that's how I get I, there. I think that, I think that, I'm talking about the, uh, like we were talking about the law of averages and the universe. And that's, I think it's going to happen. I think you're going to have to, you're going to have to go down that road. Right. At some point, everyone's going to have that thing. I think no, not everybody is getting to, getting to, uh, well, there's, you know, there's no end, but getting to that place without going through some muck yes. and learning that, learning, learning that, learning that lesson. Dude, have you already told your muck story on this? I don't know. Tell, well, let, maybe we should close with the muck. I don't know what we're going to close, but no, maybe no. we should close with the muck story. No. I'm, I'm not in a hurry to go anywhere, but yeah. we, um, let's roll, well, the muck, roll the muck story. In. So, so I, and I think I've talked about it before maybe, but you know, we have, as you know, people in the Agogi, I look at that. Uh, this is what I, this is, you know, our coaching group. And uh, the tribe of men that we have that are better than themselves and getting ripped at getting ripped in their forties and fifties. Even fifty eight? Fifty eight. Yeah. We got a guy seventy seventy I think Joe's seventy one, seventy two. I asked Nick if I was too old at fifty eight and he goes, Stop being a West Kirk guy. Yeah. Yeah. Seventy two. Yeah. You might be able to do it. You might be able to do it. Um but when you go on this journey and 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 I talked to them about this because we all they all hit it, right? They all hit the the muck. Yeah. And, and, and what I align it to is anytime that you're going to try to do something for yourself, that's going to better yourself. Maybe yeah. it's lose weight, maybe personally grow, start your own business, branch out on your own. It doesn't matter what it is. Go to a conference, which I found out that and I was telling the story to the guys this weekend and I didn't know, I guess there was like some, some logistical restraints or some, some issues coming into here that, yeah. that caused some problems. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. Almost didn't make it here. And then, of course, they, you know, we changed some lives this weekend. Yeah. And um, anyway, so I, I explained, I said, anytime that you are, I, I, I equate it to uh, the new series, Loki. I don't know if you've watched that, but. It, I have to. Yeah. I have a Marvel daughter. So oh, you've got to. Yeah, Ashlyn, yeah. she's my Marvel daughter. So. Yeah. So they, they have this TVA, the time varying authority. So they have the, ma the master timeline. And anytime that somebody tries to, you know, does something that branches off and creates a new timeline, right? They're not, I'm not going to go in the main timeline. I'm going to do my own timeline. Right, right. Well, they have this, this unit of people that go and basically nuke that timeline. They just cut it off. They go attack them. They yep. just kill everybody in that, that whole universe. And uh, so that's what I, that's what I not, you know, I don't know, you want to call it society, the universe, the law of averages, law of mediocrity, whatever you want to call it. They want everybody in the herd. They want everybody in the flock. And anytime you try to better yourself with nutrition, fitness, entrepreneurship, personal growth, anything that's going to take you away from the norm, away from the flock, it's going to separate you. There is a universal pull that's going to push you back. It's going to push, it's going to push you back. And that could be in, you know, the form of you're going to this conference that's going to change the, the, this conference, this meeting, this event, this retreat, whatever it is, 
could be the catalyst for the next 60 years of your life being different. This one piece of information, this one experience, this one meeting, right. this meeting this individual. Hell, this could be your meeting your wife at this conference, right? Could change your life. But the universe is going to yeah. lose a bag, yeah. flight delays. Opposition in all things. All, always. always. Your car is going to get a flat. Somebody in your family is going to call you and say, oh, this happened. I need you. You can't go. I need you. Something you're going to, you know, the bank's going to take your money by accident. You're going to be broke. I don't know. No, it's. So, yeah. so this thing happens, right? And like, I, I, you know, I get these clients and they're like, they get a little, they start making progress and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, boom, nothing. And they're like, man, it's hard to wake up. I'm unmotivated. I'm just struggling, Nick. And like the weight's not moving. I'm doing all the things. It's just, I just feel that I'm, I'm stuck. And I'm like, no, you're not stuck. You're in the muck. You're in the muck. And what the muck feels like is you're going through life with center block feet, walking through roof and tar. Yeah. That's what it feels like. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, every step is just like you're pulling that tar off. And, and that voice. Yeah. The, the inner bitch is like. Says, it's because you're not supposed to be doing this. Yeah. This is the wrong direction. This is the wrong direction for you right now. Yeah. Just go back. It's easier. Yeah. It's easier to go back. Th this muck is, that's a sign from God. That's <laughs> <laughs> a sign from turn, God. Turn around. Yeah, turn around. But the problem, Kirk, the problem is the line of that muck is typically, you getting through that muck is typically like a couple steps more forward. Yeah. And they quit right before they get through the other side. And once you get through the other side, man, it's, oh, it's beautiful. It's darkest before the dawn kind of a thing. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's no. beautiful. And it's really right there. It's that line. Mm. It's that line. And, and they go, oh, man, this is too hard. And they quit. And they go back. And they go back in the flock. They go back in the, the law of that. They go back to mediocrity and the average and, and, and they continue to live their life unfulfilled and, and uh, seeking, seeking pleasure over purpose. But, but the ones that, you know, that have the right people in their life, the ones that, the ones that weather the storm, that weather the muck, when they get to the other side, man, oh, it's so beautiful. All of their things, all their things that they want, all the things that they desire and the things that are going to change their life and become a, you know, like your wife says, we're human becomings that, yeah, you know, they're becoming this other thing. It's all right there, but they, people quit they do. right before the end. You remind me, the Loki reminds me of uh, that movie, The Adjustment Bureau. With oh, Matt yeah. Damon, yeah. Right? And in the end, right? That timeline, they, they no, you can't do that. We can't do that. And they kept bumping opposition between him and this girl. Yeah. Right? This him and uh, Emma, whatever her name is. And, and uh, finally, he just said, follow me through one more door. What's going to be on this side? I don't know. Yeah. I just know. I want to be there with you. Let's go. You know, kind of yeah. thing. No, same concept. It's lovely. I think that uh, one of the things that happened in this retreat, uh, and you, you use the language, we changed some lives. Um. And maybe so. I, I think some some catalysts had to present this opportunity. Some catalysts had to present these guys with doors. Um, I remember when someone told me, they, hey, yeah, Kirk, you really changed my life. I'm like, I'm not. I don't remember being there for that. <laughs> right? But you share an idea or an insight. Yeah. Um, and if they decide to pick it up and act on it, you know, it's that the, that mark, that mark, you know, it's, it's the things that we do. Ralph Waldo Emerson is the quote that I'm really liking. You know, he says, you know, do the thing. Yeah. You'll have the power. I think that's one of the, the great, uh, the great gifts. You this retreat, the way you set it up, the way these guys showed up with their with the adversity that they faced, um, 
they now that man, I thought this was my only door. Oh no, guys, there's a lot of doors. There's a lot of doors, but you got to reach out, grab that knob, and open it. Yeah, and they did, and they walked through the door into the ice. They walked through the door onto the mats. They walked through the door and personal growth and learning. They walked through the door and keeping journals. I was amazed. Here's these guys that are just jujitsu freaking monsters. And a little bit later in the day, they're, they're there with a pen and an empty notebook, just leaning forward like essential truths from God were going to be spoken. They were going to capture it. When that guy, your friend Jeff, Jeff showed up, yeah, it was so quiet. Yeah, There's churches that are not that quiet, <laughs> right? Empty churches that aren't that quiet. Yeah. is these guys. And, and Jeff was just saying, here's some things I've learned. Here's five years. things. Five things I've learned in 30 years of working with adjudicated kids. And they just wanted everything he had to offer and more. And I just feel like that beautiful weekend uh, that you and the Raider Project provided for all of us was just opportunities for us to just walk through more doors. Yeah. Right. And just say, no, don't mess with my timeline. So if you guys, you're going through the mock, don't quit. Don't just, quit. Just keep going. Do not quit. Yeah. Um, so speaking of that. Yeah. Kirk, you have a great talk about doing hard things uh, um and you think and my rebecca huh? no not necessarily that one but just in general when you're having a bad day when you're doing hard things what do you do how do you get how do you get through hard things hmm. or do you stay there i you know kind of like what you talked about on my on the book yeah i think that i think we i think we have to give ourselves some grace nick i think sometimes like when COVID hit, I, I, I told you, I just, in a very vulnerable yeah. way, I said, man, I didn't, I didn't, I have a people addiction. Yeah. I, I want to be with people and I'm used to being with people and I'm used to people asking me to be with them. And that's, that's your pattern. whole, that's your whole business. That's my whole business is, and I can zoom and I can, you know, talk to a microphone, but I don't want to. Yeah. And so, but pouting didn't, wasn't an effective response to COVID. So pouting didn't work. And, and not only that, I didn't want to be a powder. Well, my wife told me I was pouting. I said, I'm not pouting. And she told me I was depressed. I go, no, depression is something that happens to somebody else. It doesn't, I'm not depressed. I'm a happy guy. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to own it. I didn't want to own up to it. I didn't walk, I didn't want to walk up to it. And I, I, I you know, and, um, and I didn't follow my own advice and I, I built a tent right there. Yeah. I built a tent in this freaking muddy, awful, depressing place. I built a tent and then I pretended that I didn't have a tent. <laughs> no, it was awful. I was in, and not only that, then the shame of, Realizing that you have done all the things you've encouraged people not to do, that you've avoided. For 20 years. You've avoided doing, but now you're doing it. Like, how did I get How did I get here? And so any man, any woman who finds himself there, stop living in the shame of being there. It's, it's not about being there anymore. Don't get trapped there and don't freaking double down. Right? Ask for some help. Yeah, don't don't <laughs> ask for some help and freaking get you. I think you said it this right? weekend. Yeah, don't you can. It's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to have a bad week. It's okay to have a bad month. But don't freaking build a tent there. Don't yeah. camp out. And when you realize you're camping out, well, you know what? It's time to stop camping out. And and so I did. And you helped me with that. And my wife helped me with that. And and then I just had to own it. I'm like, oh, I guess this can happen anytime in my life, anywhere in my life. And so why did I let my guard down? Why did I? Why did I spend this so time? So I need to learn some lessons from that because I will have a bad day in the future. It'd be asinine for me and naive for me to think I'm not going to have a bad day. Right. Um, so what am I going to do differently next time when I, that unexpected thing happens that takes away everything that I thought 
was me. Yeah. And I had to, you know, I got to fix that. And so you and I have talked about that and you've become my coach and my mentor and my, uh, my assist partner in that. And I'm, I'm so grateful. So a couple things, guys, um, it grace for grace. If you're having a bad day, all right, have it, look at it carefully, right? Learn from it, but don't build a tent there. Don't camp out. And if you've been camping out too long, don't, don't go, oh, well, I've been here so long. Stop, stop, <laughs> stop, stop. Just pull the stakes up. Pull the stakes or freaking burn down the tent. Burn, <laughs> I like that one better. <laughs> Just burn, burn the, tent. the tent. <laughs> I'm, not okay. coming, I'm not coming back to this tent. Let me share one other idea kind of related to this. Uh, um, when I was uh, in, really involved in, in this uh, role in my church uh, uh, for a few years as, as a counselor, if you will, to a lot of men, um, they would, these are, these are good. These are, these are good men. These are men that want to be good. And, but they had early experiences with, uh, exposure to pornography, uh, sexuality, masturbation. They just, you know, so now they've, they've tried to live pure lives, godly lives as they, as they define that. Mm -hmm. And then somewhere they have a slip up and they, they find themselves looking at things again and, and going into behaviors. And all of a sudden they feel like, man, um, so, so here's this man. He's had, he's now had a seven minute experience with pornography, masturbation. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? And he's 40 years old. And he sits there in the shame of this slippage back into that old behavior that he thought he'd buried as a young man. Mm-hmm. And he thought he'd made things right with God and he was a high moral figure and he'd been true to his wife and all these things. But, right? And I'm, but he's feeling everything he's ever done has been erased because of this mistake, this slip up, if you mm-hmm. will. And I think what uh, the language that was given to me in that moment was, uh, the direction was to just say, let's step back from this for just a second, right? Are you saying to me, right? Because what you're saying to me is that nothing you've ever done matters, <laughs> right? That you are your worst seven minutes of the last freaking seven years. Yeah. Because it's been seven years since you've had an incident like this. And you're so, what you're telling me is, that you're not the seven-year guy, you're the seven-minute guy. The lesson I draw from that is you and I, Nick, are broken, fallible, weak, right? Sometimes that B voice wins. Yeah. And we're willpowered out, and we give in, and we give up for a minute or two. But you and I are not our worst two minutes of the day. That's not who we are. There's a lot of other minutes in the day, over 500, and I'm not my worst two minutes. But you know what? If I think I'm not going to have a bad two minutes, that's also naive. But now I know, you know what? I'm, there's going to be times when I'm just not the guy. Own that. Say you're sorry for that. But also acknowledge, oh my gosh, who are you most of the time, Nick? Who are you most of the time, Kirk? And most of the time, you know what? You're a committed father. You're a dedicated husband. You're a pretty nice guy. And so you had a bad day. And so what? what oh, 58 years? And you spent a couple year and a half pouting? Not, not sure what to do, not sure if you could get up, walking through the muck and, not, and, and just going, God, this sucks. I suck. And saying all the wrong things to yourself about yourself? Mm-hmm. Okay. Am I that guy? Am I that 18-month guy? Or am I the guy that for 56 and a half years was trying to do other things? Oh, huh. yeah. Does that make sense? So the two minutes is figurative. Right. <laughs> right. But the principle, I think, is, is eternal. You've got a little boy. Um, I've got six kids. 
and um and some grandbabies and they like me have occasionally make some really dumb choices i'm like yeah. i cannot believe that just happened yeah but it just did if you have enough kids i mean you but here's the thing <laughs> here's the thing Nick, and then we probably should talk about the diesel story right um here's the thing <laughs> when my brooklyn called and said dad i was just an accident my first words were are you all right yeah where are you and i was heading out the door yeah no kidding right. i don't think god is any different than that i don't think i don't think this loving father in heaven that people talk about or hope is there or you know maybe they don't believe that but but i i just don't think that any eternal force that is a part of our being and well-being cares about those moments yeah more than they care about us and what we want to do next yeah and so who am i to try to have a different approach or mindset than that mm. i look at my best moments my very best moments as a father and i imagine i'm still an imperfect broken man trying to love these kids and help them become their best selves and then i look behind me or up up in the heavens and i imagine there's some force some being that i call god mm-hmm that wants the very same thing for me, but in an even better way than I can give it to my own kids. And in that moment, you know what? My mistakes become very, very transactional. Right. Because my journey is transformational. Yeah. And that's what I want. So uh, Nick won't tell the story. I will. <laughs> um, at the retreat for these freaking warriors and his friend Kirk, Nick provided a vehicle for everyone to use. Um, it was an old vehicle. It was not a shiny vehicle. It was not a new vehicle. There was some... I'm actually not, now thinking about it. I'm glad it wasn't a new vehicle. Shut vehicle. up. Shut up. Just let me finish the story. So um, I did not drive the vehicle, although I was the first one there. The other guys drove the vehicle. Now I'm taking the vehicle uh, to, to, to the meeting with the Johnny Slicks team. And I'm going to drop a guy off. Uh, well, first of all, you, you volunteered for the Raider Project. Okay. And then we hired you. Oh, for Johnny Slicks. For yeah. Johnny Slicks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So just set the precedence okay, on so, that day you're getting paid. Okay. So on this <laughs> on this payday, on this payday, I'm in the company. I wouldn't I wouldn't call it the company vehicle, but no. but none, nonetheless. And this is an important story. So and I'm gonna drop off one of uh Nick's uh My brother in law. Brother in law at yeah. the, he says, Hey Kirk, he said, Can you drop me? It's great. So we jump in the car and I'm I'm not making excuses, but I'm thinking he's been in this car before. Right? Nick already said to the guys, Hey guys, this car runs a little rough, but when you Right when you start it up, it's going to shake, but when you get on the road, it'll smooth out. And sure enough, I got in the car and it's shaking a little bit. Not a problem. I put it in reverse. I back up four feet into a tree. But you know, I just barely put it in reverse. I, there's no acceleration. It, it was just it was just hard enough to not even hurt the tree or the bumper of the car. But certainly, Nick's brother-in-law, his coffee is now in his lap, and <laughs> he's not so. So with that, hopefully, it wasn't that hot. With that glorious start to our day, speaking of adversity, um, we fixed that. The, the fuel line is below empty. It's not on the E. It's below. It's between the two bars. It's, it's in the freaking middle of the E. <laughs> so there's a gas station one mile down the road. We pull in there, and I jump out, and the brother-in-law jumps out. He goes, I'm going to get a coffee. Do you want something? I'm going to get a coffee that's not on my shirt. Do you want something? No, I'm good. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, it's all good. So I fill up the car, $62. I'm like, no. This, and the gas on the, North, on, the, on the East Coast is $3.33 a gallon. I'm like, this is incredible. There's no way I should have put 66 bucks in this car. It had a big tank, I thought. I thought. Uh-huh. Um, and then we got in the car, and it was rough again. And then the closer we got to the gym, where I'm going to drop Seth off to work out with Nick, the rougher the car was running. 
Uh, uh, well, this is weird, but I'm just going to drop Seth off and I'm going to go meet the Johnny Slicks team. So we pull in the gym parking lot and the car gives its last breath and dies. And the reason that happened um, was because I filled the car with gasoline and the car turns out to be a diesel. A diesel. Now, I share that story not to illustrate just how stupid I am because uh, it was an old car and there was no labeling and the brother-in-law, anybody could have said something and I just never even occurred to me. So lots of excuses. But the bottom line was I just filled Nick's gift car <laughs> with gasoline and I want to just show you his response. As he stands outside and says, hey, I'll see you after my workout. I'll meet you there, Johnny Slick's team. I try to start the car and smoke comes out and he goes, turn it off. And he goes, what'd you put in it? I said, just filled up with gas. He said, oh, gas? I said, yeah. He goes, Kirk, it's a diesel. And my, to my horror, I don't, I, don't, I don't even know what that means. I don't know how much damage I've done. I don't know if the car's going to recover. I, here's what I know. That car's not going anywhere. No. And here's this busy, busy guy named Nick who's running all these companies. And now he's got to figure out how to get his guest speaker to the team. But here's what Nick said next. He said, I guess you're taking my truck. That was his first response to me. Now, here's what that means. That means there was no judgment. There was no condemnation. There was no shame. There was no, yeah, we're going to laugh about it later and he's probably going to never forget it. I'm probably going to hear the story again many times, <laughs> but it'll be done in a loving way. But my main point was now he's got to figure out how he's going to, after workout, which is his total focus with his brother-in-law, who he loves, he's got to figure out how to get arrangement travel for himself. Right? He, there's a lot of inconveniences that are happening because Kirk put the wrong fuel in the car. But none of that is mentioned. None of that is given off in body language and tonality that's how quick, not only, not only was I instantly forgiven, there was no need to forgive because there was no grudge or resentment taken. Does that make sense? I think once we as men can get to that place where we're not reacting at all, where we live on the edge of proactivity, that no matter what happens around us, it doesn't change who we are or how we show up in our lives as men and leaders and learners, you know, on the planet Earth. And I believe, this is my belief, I believe whatever you want to call this personage uh, that I call God, I believe that's exactly how he operates. Is I, I believe that with every fiber of my being, that he'll look back on my little journey of mortality and I'll be thinking about putting diesel in the gas tank and he'll be thinking about, man, I'm so glad you're here. Where do you want to go next? You can take my truck. Right? That's what I believe. There was so much grace in that moment, Nick. It was, I wish I could, I wish somehow that could have been a non-stage filmed event because I could use that three minutes and I could talk about that in my leadership seminars until I died. Well, you probably will. And that's what's, see, that's and that again, see these little moments that happen, you know, you <laughs> embarrassing, not embarrassing, it doesn't really matter, but, they, they are the sum of who you are and your experiences and what you're able to offer the world. So you can't really change them. I wouldn't change that event to, to anything. I, because, again, we talk about, we, I got there and I, I, I jokingly told the story of how your, mor how your morning had begun. So here you are hired to, like, inspire and, and motivate yeah, and change some lives. I just a $10,000 speaker for you guys. Let me tell you what he did to the car this morning. No, no. And uh, anyways, um but I said that I was like, you know, the universe is gonna the universe is gonna push back a little bit. 
Yeah, and it yeah. did. Yeah, it's no big deal. We had a great, yeah. we had a freaking outstanding, great day. You have got a great team. And um, yeah, so Kirk's got uh, two, well, three books now, right? Three? Three. Two, but two are, um, they're all great, but two I want to mention. The Dog Poop Initiative. These are children books, so even you guys can read them. Um, and I highly suggest getting them from directly from Kirk, right? That's the solution. Sure, sure. Not Amazon. Sure. Um, if you must go through Jeff Bezos, do so. But yeah, leave. Let's just leave Jeff. Let him be on the blue horizon. His flying, yeah, penis <laughs> ship. <laughs> um, so the dog poop initiative is a children's book. Is it? it, it I, I I consider it a children's book. However, that book is bought by who? The most, the biggest purchaser of that book is who? Boeing Aircraft. They use it with their Six Sigma Lean initiatives. Yeah. So ninety five percent of all the buyers of that book are corporate. It's it's great. Delta for, is one of them as well, right? Delta. It's great for team meetings. Yeah. It really just talks about um, eliminating blame, complaining. The the subtitle of the book says it's the number two book <laughs> because of the poop metaphor there uh, for dealing with ownership and accountability in your organization. And, and uh, so I highly suggest all of you guys go buy that book from Kirk. And then the second one, um, it was, it's, it's a, like for productivity and leadership, I mean, I guess they're both, but I mean, the dog poop initiative is great, but for some reason, and maybe it's because your son's video, I don't know, but the cookie thief, the cookie thief book just hits so hard, so home with me. Why is that? Why do you think it does? I don't know. I can't put my finger on it, but it has a special, it has a special place in my heart. The Cookie Thief has a has a very deep special place in my heart, and I just love that book. And I love Jake's video when he was what sixteen years old. Can Can your team put a link to his video in your in the below the? Yeah, Mark, can you do that? Yeah, yeah, you can do that. So let me tell you why that the 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 dog poop book is an initial as an original story to me. The Cookie Thief story is. There's a thousand versions of that story that go back as far as a hundred years. The reason I love that story that you love. Yeah. And the reason I made it my second book uh, was because I needed the story so much <laughs> in this way. One of my um, dark superpowers is um, uh, rushing to judgment. Uh. And I know that about myself and a leader knows themselves and seeks self-improvement. That's right. So uh, a lot of times I find myself showing up, having an opinion about people before I have any information about people. And I saw this pattern in my life, it wasn't healthy. And I heard this story and I thought, man, I need that story. So I took the story and I versioned it into my version of a book. And, um, and- Kirk, Kirk loves cookies, so that's yeah. why. <laughs> and so now any cookie reminds me of the story and, and I get to share that story a lot. And the more we share these stories that help us, they help keep us in line with our commitments that we've made to ourselves and others yeah. about the kind of person. And so. That book is a self-help book for Kirk Weisler. <laughs> and if, if you like it too, awesome. I absolutely love that book, man. Anyway, so go buy those books. Hey, and, let's uh, do this. If, yeah. if, if any of your people, if you decide to go to my website and buy a book, that's great. So, um, But put in the comments that you heard about on this podcast, and I will double your order or more. I don't do that. No, I don't mind doing it. I'd, I'd, love, I'd be delighted to do it. Oh, there you go. If you made it to the, if you made it to the end, if you made if you made it to the <laughs> for end. the for the four people listening right now, <laughs> no. So if right if you if you just heard Nick say that and you haven't already clicked off, put that in the comments. <laughs> I'll send you six books. <laughs> um, but anyways, and and where can people find you? Because you're you're a little bit 
Oh, just KirkWeisler.com. So uh, yeah. Kirk and then W-E-I-S-L-E-R. Yeah, we'll put it We'll put it all in the show notes below okay. in the description yeah. of the videos oh, thanks, and whatnot. Nick. And uh, believe it or not, he is on Instagram. Um, I think he's got a Facebook somewhere, but he is on Instagram. <laughs> just every once in a while. LinkedIn. Link, LinkedIn. That's where the real, that's where the high rollers. See, that's how you know, <laughs> that's, that's how you know yeah, that, what, that yeah. Kirk's a, a high roller yeah, in the corporate world. That's what he's, it is. Because he doesn't do social media like, like yeah. Nick does. Um, but anyways, Kirk, thank you so much for being part of our lives. Thank you for, uh, for pouring into this weekend and pouring into our company and uh, helping us get to reach our objectives. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Absolute pleasure. Thank you guys. Thanks to all you listeners out there. And I'll look for your comments on your book orders because I am going to do everything I said I'm going to do. All right. And uh, you guys know the deal. Um, screenshot this, please, please share this with your friends. You know, don't be a, you know, an information, um, hoarder. Uh, if it, if it affected you, it's going to affect one of your friends. So screenshot this, tag us and uh, we'll share it out as well. And then drop us a review. And then other than that, can I say always forward? Yeah, I'll say never quit. So never quit, never surrender. Always forward. And we'll see you guys on the, uh, the next episode.